You're listening to episode 55 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Now, if you're a parent, a carer or a professional who works with children, I have no doubt that you can probably relate to this sentiment that I feel and I know that you probably feel too. And that's that deep wish for our child or children to be prepared for the future, for a happy and healthy future. And no doubt you're wanting this for yourself also. Well, you are going to love today's chat. I have a special guest with me today. He is Dr. Bo Stian Thompson. He's the Vice President of the Lego Foundation. Today's episode, we're going to cover the power of learning through play and why it's not just reserved for children. And we also look at exploring how play is a means to set up your child and yourself in a zone of living with joy and cultivating life learning and also facilitating endless possibilities when it comes to career opportunities and choices. Also, another aspect I'm really excited about is that you get to learn and be opened up to the possibilities of a reimagined education system. Now, before we launch into the chat, I'd like for you to know that the valuable resources that we do share in today's episode will be within the show notes found at chataboutchildren.com forward slash podcasts. Also, please remember to leave a rating and a review of this episode from your favorite podcast player. Okay, it's time to get this chat started. Dr. Bostian Thompson is the Vice President and Chair of Learning Through Play in the Lego Foundation. He spent nine years building the research agenda and organisational expertise on children's development, play and learning in order for the Lego Foundation to be the leading authority on learning through play. First, he was a director of the Lego Learning Institute, later head of the Centre for Creativity, Play and Learning, and lastly, as the global head of research, leading the research partners and international projects on the role and impact of play on creativity and lifelong learning. Bo has published widely on creativity, play and learning, most recently on the role of play for children's learning in schools, and he's presented the work across various international platforms. He completed his PhD on performative learning environments and worked 10 years developing learning environments and technology applications across four continents. Bo, welcome to Chat About Children. Thank you very much, Sonia. It's a pleasure to be here. I am very, very excited to have you joining this episode today because we are chatting about the power of play. And I can't think of a better person to talk to, actually, about this topic. So just to start with, Bo, I'd love for you to share with us what led you to the Lego Foundation and for you personally, why are you so passionate about play? I mean, you've done incredible work in this area and you continue to do incredible work. So what's the motivation behind it and why? So I, I started my work in Lego by leading something called the Lego Learning Institute, as you mentioned. And it was a network of uh, academic researchers in the Lego group, the, the corporate part of the entities. And that work resonated very well with my past work where I did research on learning on technologies and the intersection with creativity, with creative practices, because my original background was in, in design, architects, and more the, the materials in the built environment. So personally, I truly enjoy 
not only playing, but also creating and designing things myself. But what I realized was I could probably find even more value by empowering individuals and particular children in actually expressing themselves and their ideas and testing and trying out what they know and what they can do. So when I've been working some years in, in architecture and design with technologies and robotics, I figured out actually that Lego had a perfect fit in terms of combining not only the playing and the learning, but the academic research with the practice of illustrating examples that made value for everyday life. Wonderful, wonderful. So tell us more about what the Lego Foundation actually does and what you mean when you say learning through play. Yeah, so all of our work is focused on increasing the awareness and impact of play on children's development and learning. So all the wonderful things that we need right now more than ever, both as children as, and as adults, is this is time of change and uncertainty where we need social and emotional and creative skills. And all of these are uniquely developed based on play and playful experiences. So the Lego Foundation is supporting creative and playful activities, but the key aim is to change the system. So whether it's the health, education, or cultural systems to increase attention to the benefits of how children develop and learn through play. And it means we have a huge belief and some really solid research behind how children play and how they learn from early years and into adolescence and adulthood. But the main aim is to change the attitudes and behaviors around adults to, yes. for us to better appreciate the importance of childhood and of play. So in terms of, of the... What we mean by learning through play, first and foremost, I think we have to insist that what we really need for children and for ourselves is to grow up to be creative and engage lifelong learners. And we need to keep on learning, keep on playing, because there's a very different set of competences that are nurtured right now, like creativity and collaboration and critical thinking, emotional regulation, which is not supported as much in education right now. But we cannot achieve it just by focusing on traditional definition of play because there's multiple theories and definitions behind it and sometimes a little controversial. So what we have done is to bring together the neuroscience, education, the technology, the psychology to focus on what are the most helpful and evidence-based definitions to describe how do children develop and learn through play. And it's actually quite simple. Good. <laughs> it sounded complex there. So yes, it's tell us. Complex, but it's quite simple because it's when children are active and not passive. So when children are doing things, when they are manipulating things, when they're actively moving around and not sitting still, that's part of playing. And when they are engaged and motivated about the process and find joy in what they're doing, even when it's challenging, then it's about playful experience to support their development and learning. But also when it's inherently meaningful to them. So when it builds on their interest and they're allowed to test and try out things in a process of experimentation. So we figured out that there are five characteristics related to this, the joy, the meaningful, being active, opportunities to experiment, and often it happens in social interactions with others. And when you do that, it triggers multiple parts of, of your brain and gives you a deeper experience. So it, it's a deeper experience because you literally do things, you practice things, you test and try out things, but also you get to understand much more about yourself, about the world and people around you. And that is just so crucial because you need that self-awareness and you need mm. that awareness of the community or the people around you and the wider community so you can function as successfully and effectively as you can. I love yeah. that. And that is a beautiful way to summarize the power of play. Now, Bo, I feel like you know, over the decades that I've worked with children and families you know, as a speech pathologist, for me, it feels professionally that 
there's so much of, you know, obviously the formal training of, you know, ways to play, how to play, following your child's lead and the interests mm. and those kinds of principles. And it's increased more and more in recent years that I'm asking myself, where has that naturalness, what I deem to be that naturalness of play and spontaneity, mm. where has it gone? It seems to be lost for so many that training a lot of parents care as professionals in this it just seems so formalized and structured. And for me personally, I kind of think, how has it become like this? So help us understand, and obviously I'm generalizing a little, but help us understand your view on how play has become a little bit under threat and what are the repercussions of this? And I'm sure we're already seeing it and experiencing it. Yeah, we definitely see it different parts of the world, but also it's a little different depending on the family context and the educational values that are in places you live. But some of the key things that influence play right now is when you are in a highly competitive and performance-driven society, which is mainly driven by things like standardized tests, or sometimes in some cultures, a high lack of job opportunities. So it means that play becomes limited instead of, and focus on traditional forms of education, homework, instead of project and interests and play. It also goes a little bit, that's kind of a systems perspective that competitive society, lack of opportunities for everyone else, focus usually on these immediate benefits that are in, in what's being tested. But also there's a little bit move we've seen towards a more risk aversive society. We're less about taking risk, exploring opportunities. And there's also more risk in terms of the media about our moving around in the neighborhoods that people live in. And that uncertainty sometimes also makes adults respond with more planning and more structure. So we also find ourselves sometimes orchestrating and setting higher expectations for what we are doing. And that also sometimes means we are planning things that will have more detailed outcomes and less open-minded to explore ideas. And then generally, I think what really seems to be moving in the right direction right now is that Play has been seen a little bit as frivolous, as something you do when you're just outdoor, only when you have own choice and freedom. But what we see right now, it is, nothing could be more wrong. Like all the things that the workforce look for in our jobs, and, but also the government, are actually creativity. It's ability to come up with new ideas, alternative ideas to situations. People expect us to collaborate and negotiate in our work and be able to emotionally regulate and deal with stress and uncertainty. So, so I think right now there's a really good opportunity to think that play, where children naturally learn, is actually also what we need more of right now. Yeah, yeah. It's just that crucial life skill. So mm. when you say the word play, and I'm just curious here, what image or vision comes to your mind? So play is really a state of mind. It's about being playful. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You've met my brain. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what image does that create for you? Well, it, for me, it's an image of opportunity. So any situation you're in is an opportunity to test and try on things. So as part of natural and everyday life, you know, we are often in our planning mode, whether we are going to design our schedules or do our dinners or setting out after school activities and so forth. But it's really about facing opportunity, give children stimulation opportunities and thinking about alternatives. So that playfulness is the opportunity to test and try out things do things a little different than we usually do and make sure that the joy of doing things is always the most important so the process of playing the joy of learning 
that's the thing that had the, the long-term gains. And sometimes you think about play as an activity. Think yes. about go play a game, go out, do sports, or play with Lego bricks. So sometimes it's orchestrated in these kind of clumps of activities. And that's not bad. We can describe activities and outcomes of play and so forth. But it's most important the mindset you bring to it. If you have yeah. this mindset of openness and testing and trying out, then you can make it work everywhere and for everyone. Well, I find that, you know, in a lot of countries that modern culture is very scheduled. It's, mm. as we know, it's very scheduled. And I feel like unless we schedule free play, <laughs> just <laughs> it may not happen. But I think what you're saying is right. Even in our daily routine tasks, there's just endless opportunities where you can mm. do something even slightly differently yeah. and take out the autopilot of our routine. Mm. And I think yeah. that's where those small elements of play can really go a very long way. I'm talking in yeah. rhymes now. Sorry. Um, so that's my playfulness, Bo. Mm -hmm. So we've mentioned here really that perception that we see play very often as, I guess, as that would be nice, you know, kind of part mm. of the routine, but it's not seen as a necessity. What are your mm. words of wisdom to chip away at that mindset of, you know, play being a necessity? It's not a chore. It's not a to-do on your list, but it's really just a daily essential. What are your words of wisdom yeah. to chip away at that mindset and help people realize that important? The most important thing is to realize that there are benefits to play. And as I mentioned before that, yeah. So, so I think let's start with the things that, that are most natural to everyone, which is about activities. So a child sitting and stacking blocks on top of each other and trying to tear them down again, they're actually looking at cause and effect. They're building blocks, they're stacking, exercising motor skills, seeing how it falls, rebuilding, may fail, may learn through that process. They quantify, they sort different sizes and look at colors. So simple things like messing around and testing, trying out, it's really about cognitive, it's about attention, it's about mathematics and structure, it's about language because you communicate, it's about emotional regulation because, oh, now it didn't work, what can I then do? And it's the same kind of skills you use when you are out there climbing trees. Like, it's uncertainty, you have to figure out where to put your hands, you're slowly moving up, you don't know really where you're going, but you have to regulate and keep attention while you're doing this. So... Benefits of activities, whether it's physical activities, whether it's games, whether it's objects you manipulate, whether it's pretense, you know, you're taking a banana and pretending it's a telephone. That's really about understanding symbols. You know, a banana can be a banana because it's spelled B-A-N-A-N and so forth, but it's also an object of imagination. And that means about symbols and language. And it's about pretending and about coming up with ideas. So what we can show in terms of activities like physical and games and objects and pretenses, it's actually equipped children with skills that are important, not only for their young years, but actually throughout life. And they're even reinforced when we have these characteristics about joy and experimentation, being active, embedded in as part of the activities. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, Bo, there can be, I guess, a misconception sometimes that we need to go out and buy heaps of stuff you know, mm -hmm. to have our kids be able to play. Now, my personal opinion is you don't because mm -hmm. kids, I find, will, if they've got that opportunity to explore their environment, they often will explore and find something to do with something, whether it's picking up, you know, 
a couple of rocks and trying to put them in a certain formation or balance one on top of the other or whatever it might be. Mm. I feel like sometimes we might, you know, set upon ourselves this expectation that play means we have to purchase lots of things. What's your response to that? Just to, I guess, help listeners understand that it is, it doesn't have to be that complex or costly, that there are lots of ways that it can be incorporated into day to day. Yeah, I think your examples are very good. And it is probably the one key point, which is that adults should not necessarily know what they're doing or getting (laughs) things right. They should be part of the process of observing and investigating the children. So whether it's these rocks you find, you know, the questions are really, what have you found? What can you use them for? Why did you do what you did? And so forth. So really being able to follow children around and take their lead, as you mentioned before, that's part of free play. You know, they don't need to be completely on their own, but you're basically looking at and observing and reflecting on what they do and trying to figure out what they do. You don't say, okay, this is a rock necessarily. Here are 10 rocks, but really how many are there? How can we count them? How are they structured? What are their services? What can we use them for? So being able to be part of that is actually very enjoyable and very relaxing, but you don't set your expectations always to be the one who knows, but being the ones who help cast questions. The second part is actually as part of our everyday life, whether we are doing our meals or cleaning up, getting ready to go to school or to job, try to embed that kind of uncertainty and surprise into traditional meals you're doing, try to replace one ingredient in your meals to say, now we're having this meal right now and we know everything, about it and so forth. But what if we should change just one thing about the meal and then try to engage the children at any age in that conversation and try to see if you can taste something different. So just try to open up these opportunities where there actually is some structure, but you can open up. Or when you go to school, try to invite children to say, could we do a slightly different route to school today? Let's leave five minutes earlier and try to open up to say, maybe we can go that way or you can go that way, but keeping in mind where we're going. Play and what children are really, really good at is to deal with that change and uncertainty. They really embrace opportunities to say, okay, maybe we can do it a little different. And it doesn't need to be radically different, like completely free form. And it doesn't need to be very structured, but some kind of guidance where one open up to challenge the rules, but within a structure where you can actually get to the same you know, result or similar results is important. Yeah, I love those examples. And it can be so easily interspersed throughout the day in those everyday activities, as you mentioned, whether it's cooking or driving, or even if you go for a walk, just kind of going, Mm. you know, where do you want to go? What street do I want to go down? And, you know, just that basic stuff. It's a lot of fun. So I love those examples. Now you mentioned earlier about kind of the education system and other systems too. Now look, many cultures and systems do put up, I guess, boundaries or obstacles or can be so structured sometimes that it can impede the richness of the benefits that play can provide. Tell us a little bit more about what could the education system look like if it did really embody the value of play? That is a really, really good question. And what we, it's a strong focus of our work and also the research we've done over the years. The the starting point to think about is that play actually do exist in education but it may not be in the form and shape that we usually have seen it and that we expect it for. Because sometimes when we say play should be in education, it's completely opposite. Like play is about choice and agency and freedom and creativity. Education is structured and, and traditional outcomes. But if you look at the evidence, we've seen that it does exist, but it's projects. Or it's problem-based learning. It's experiential form of learning, but children incorporate everyday materials or outdoor materials where they work on things that are meaningful to them. 
So it does exist in education, but we call it more integrated pedagogies, project and problem-based learning, collaborative forms of learning, experiences and so forth. What it really brings is that it gives more independence to the child to observe and reflect on their own learning and not to live up onto, to the standardized test, but them to really figure out how does this work? What do I learn and how do I help others? The key things that would support it is that if education is focused more broadly on skills like social and emotional learning, where children are not only required to say, you know, we have to learn these topics, but more about how do we collaborate with others? Like, how do we like work on the boundary of what's really difficult and test out whether we can figure out alternative ways of, of coming up with ideas so that the broader skills are integrated as part of traditional learning outcomes. And then it's, uh, it's really about having a broader set of materials also. So usually when we have classrooms, traditionally it's about papers and pens and beginning to be about technologies to some aspect, but children need a range of different ways to express themselves. They don't only express themselves through language or writing, they build and make things. They might incorporate outdoor environments or the community examples, but multiple materials to express themselves, put on the wall, discuss and share, and actually criticize and discuss with their friends. So I think as part of thinking that this is actually not necessarily more time consuming and more difficult, but you give more independence to the child, you think about different outcomes in a different way and we integrate much more creative practices and multiple materials. The, the key thing that we've seen is one of the biggest challenges is for, for teachers to move away from being the main instructor, the, the one who knows everything and need to kind of share that knowledge to the children. But balance that out, obviously there are things to get topics started, to instruct, to know, but work with guidance to say, how do we approach this particular, particular project or, or problem? So more guided projects, guided practices, and then allow more opportunities for free play, but unstructured play, where children can explore open-ended ideas and outdoor and so forth. So we have great examples right now for creative practices worldwide. So for instance, geography lesson, and uh, you know about geography and cities and places, and they found this, this piece in geography about a piece of a moment in history and one would ask, what would happen if the outcome of that event was different? So instead of learning about what happened, try to engage the children in saying, what would it look like if something were a different outcome of that historical event? Children and young people would need to know about the event and the place still, but they had to know much more about the causalities and the implications and to be able to think about how things could be different. And I think that's an example of any kind of curriculum. You can embed that a little bit change in it to say, you know, what are the multiple ways we can count to 10 instead of what is a five plus five? What are the other ways that, that we can think about achieving alternative knowledge instead of just the one thing that are going to be, be the truth? I love that. That is fantastic. And like, I'm almost speechless because I, I get very excited by everything you're talking about. And I, I'm in a profession where we do a lot of standardized testing, can I say? <laughs> so, yeah. but as I have progressed through the years, myself have kind of seen the limitations around well, a lot of it really and, and I guess I look at a very holistic approach but very often there have been times when even on a standardized test a child will answer a question that's actually correct they've given mm. a response like an option for a response that is very novel and yeah. technically is not incorrect but a standardized yeah. test might score that as incorrect yeah 
And so I see some you know, amazing ways that kids think. It's very inspiring. And I imagine yeah. in that kind of system that you're describing, where it's really embodying the value of play, yeah. that's where the magic happens. That's where you know, the golden nuggets lie, because you've just got that novel creative thinking and that team problem solving and the collaboration and all the things we're looking for, really, in terms of, as I keep saying, life skills, but yeah. your life skills, really. And you mentioned that example of, you know, how could this event have looked different? And very early, we talked about little kids exploring and exploring cause and effect. And that's a more kind of sophisticated example of them applying that cause effect, isn't it? And all the various alternatives. It's very, very exciting. So how far are we both from this um, becoming, you know, a bit more prominent in the world? Because it's a challenge and a half. There is so much to have to chip away at here. How are we faring? I think we are actually on a quite good journey right now in our progress towards reimagining education and kind of redefining play to be more broadly about the value to individuals and to society. And the reason I'm saying that is because when we look at our partnerships and the places we operate, there's actually a huge excitement around creativity, for instance, or critical thinking, life skills, as you say it. And it actually, on top of government agenda, agendas, workforce, education systems, but it's difficult to know how it's done. So what we really mostly considered about is to figure out which way we can equip parents and teachers and systems to integrate it. So that's why in the foundation we're working, for instance, on a play movement. Mm-hmm. The play movement that equips parents to embed play into everyday life, whether you're at home, whether you are at the beach, whether you're at the community. And we have a playlist of examples to illustrate that you just need that inspiration sometimes and support Obviously, that you spent the time unstructured to be able to do that. We're also working with teachers and embedding the ideas about project-based learning, experiential learning, and so forth in five countries as part of teachers' professional development. To help teachers, they actually, it's kind of the same things they learned about being a good teacher, but they need more flexibility in the structure around them in the professional development to integrate it. We're also working with governments to articulate that the value of childhood and play should be across any policy. It should be embedded in education. It should be embedded in the cultural system, in the health system. It's this mindset where the broader skills and competencies of children that learn naturally can be embedded. And then we also like reshaping preschools and we're doing it ourselves. So we are trying to employ, use our role models, our employees as an example of how, you know, meetings are much more about expressing ideas and sharing them. It's about obviously always ask the question whether you're motivated about what you do, where you're collaborating and where you come up with alternative ideas and whether you are able to use materials to make a difference for the community you are in as part of your private life also. Wonderful, wonderful. What would be your top practical strategy for parents and carers to welcome play into their daily life? I think that the top strategy is to remind ourselves first and foremost that children are for loan that we need to equip them to make decisions and to learn. And that strategy means we cannot do it for our children. We cannot play for them. We cannot learn for them. We cannot do everything in, our, in the life to make them succeed in the short term. So the strategy is to always reflect to say, how could we do it? It's more the question about asking, what could we do? How can we approach this and invite children in that response? Because in many cases, children really want to help. They want to be part of the everyday and they want to contribute, but they sometimes need that time and 
opening of the structure to be able to ask questions and reflect and, and contribute. And it means that's the best way for them to grow up and make decisions on their own. Totally. And it's really, it's about, I think, in some ways, slowing down a little bit and pausing. Because in that pause and that wait, that's where allowing, as you say, opening up you know, the opportunities and taking away the structure. Because it can happen when you're in a busy household and you're on autopilot and you just do, 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 do. But mm. when you actually pause and say, well, hang on a sec, this is something that my child can do. Or when they've come and said, can I help with that? We kind of go, yes, you can. And make it yeah. work rather than being focused on the time pressure is kind of slowing it down and, and pausing. Yeah. So that's fantastic. What about for educators in the early childhood sector or in the school age sector? What would you say would be the top strategies that they can potentially employ? So the, the top strategy is based on first and foremost, their pedagogy. The way they teach is to balance the instruction with more guidance and project-based learning and free play. Not only think about instruction for these 45 minutes and then free play, go out and play on the outdoors, do something else, but it's a balance. It might be 10 minutes of setting the stage, do collaborative projects and allow more opportunities for instructive play. The second thing is really think about curriculum and topics, not these five, 45 minute stressful moments, but work with the school leadership to embed it as part of longer sessions. So maybe the whole morning is about a theme or a topic like what happens in project-based learning, inquiry-based learning, but you're able to not stress from one topic to another, but stitch together and you can embed collaboration and creativity and the knowledge and curriculum into that. And thirdly, think about the resources you have, not only in the school, but in the community. There's such an opportunity to use community examples, uh, examples from companies, just moving outdoor and use that as part of the, the curriculum. It requires a little more flexibility and adaptability and creativity in some aspects, but we've seen many cases that it actually can be done to begin to apply such strategies. Can you give us an example of where it's been done and what that looks like? So product-based learning and experiential formal learning have been done a range of different places and actually in our recent work called Learn Through Play at School. So it means that usually you can develop community gardens, for instance. So the school usually have opportunities to have a little more space they can have community gardens. As part of that, you learn to grow and nurture things in the garden. You learn to count and quantify. You learn about the life cycle of things. You learn about food and how you treat food and what you eat. And you can also use that to talk about biology and all kinds of other things. We've also seen ways that community challenges, like whether it's climate change, make practical in terms of recycling in the community. It's making children reflect on what do you collect? Where do objects and materials come from? How do you reuse it? And all that can be the history of materials. It can be the science of how materials are developed. It can be how to quantify and sort and recycle things in the science. So being able to translate themes and projects that are relevant and meaningful to the school or the community into these kind of topics, children just gain immensely from these more longer stretches, more collaborative forms of work. Wonderful, wonderful. Bo, we're almost at the end of, of our episode. Can I sneak in a little question here before you give us your take-home messages? How do you play each day? It's going to be different every day, but give us a couple of examples. I play each day as part of my work, I have to say, because, <laughs> you know, what I do, I truly enjoy what I do to be able to collaborate with experts and people from around the world. But then I do spend a lot of time with my children. So I have two children, a daughter at nine and a son at 12. And being able to follow their lead and do projects with them. So we did Halloween pumpkins uh, this weekend. We do our own lamps. We uh, have a tree in our house. 
So I took my childhood three from my own house when I grew up in that forest and put it inside my house. So we climb every morning. Beautiful. And we do a lot of physical activity. So I think, as I mentioned before, I cannot embed every part of the structure I have, but we are doing our effort to be much more open-minded to do things a little different, whether it's cooking the meal or cleaning up, do little surprises outdoor or indoor, being much more physical active as part of our work. And then just participate in what children do. I love to participate whether they're doing technologies or games or whether they are in their spare time on their sports or listen to hear about the challenges in school. Yeah, lovely. I love it. Thank you, Bo. So to finish up with, what is your take-home message today? We're in a few words, just for parents and carers, and then your take-home message for educators. Yeah. So I think the takeaway for parents is really to think about that the experiences they provide right now for children is literally shaping their brains in how they become in the future. So usually we think about we have to prepare them for the future. But literally what we do right now is that they are for loan and the experience we provide them with right now are things that they remember, the positive engaging experiences for a lifetime. So be present right now and allow these moments just to be together and ask questions. I think that the question for educators is really to embed much more flexibility and creativity in their work and be less concerned about failing as an instructor and this kind of sole source of knowledge but invite students in to think about critical problems and projects and collaborations, and then allow them to assess what they're doing. We have great examples where children and young people actually are saying, how would this work? How would you assess it? How would you describe it? What's your value of it? How would you compare to other things you've done? So I think the flexibility in your pedagogy and being able to invite that surprise into the work is what you've seen great benefits of. Absolutely amazing. Bo, how can listeners learn more about you and the LEGO Foundation? So we have resources on our website, on the LEGO Foundation website called Learn How, where we have all our work and reports and so forth. We also have a playlist, so a collection of very simple activities you can integrate in your life at any point in day and setting. We just started also a course on social emotional learning with our partners around the world. So one can also go deeper and want to know something to take that course but also follow our work on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and so forth. So there's always new ideas and new things to explore. Absolutely. Bo, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor having you join the Chat About Children podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Very exciting. Thank you. What a joyful chat there with Dr. Bo Stian Thompson. He and his team have done and continue to do incredible work in the area of learning through play. And he certainly offered some simple yet very powerful ways that we can all start injecting playfulness and creativity into our daily life with our own children and those that we may work with. Please do remember to check out those resources that he mentioned in our show notes at chataboutchildren.com forward slash podcast. And remember to leave a rating and review from your favorite podcast player and share this episode with family, with friends, and with colleagues who you know will benefit. I thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich, www.chataboutchildren.com. Chat